Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good weekend to you food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Gain culinary intelligence right here and right now because this hour is filled with fabulous food and fine wines. If you're passionate about the process, if you love discovering that perfect recipe or brilliant bottle, if you carefully select your ingredients and add those special touches to make the dish uniquely your own, well then please elevate your passion by tuning in every week and by staying tuned all throughout this hour because it's my goal to make every day more delicious. You can feed your insatiable appetite by finding podcasts of shows you might have missed on iTunes under Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. And please become a friend and a fan for my daily dish on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. I'm always serving up seconds so you can savor the flavor at chefjamie.com and grab a glass because coming up, I am elated that this rock star winemaker is stopping by. Julianne Fayard with more than 20 top shelf, highly lauded Napa wines under his belt, blends his Bordeaux roots with his California style. He is an alum of the Philippe Melka winemaking track. And I will tell you, I'm very proud to say he is a newfound friend. I had an opportunity to sip and savor with Julien up in Napa, and I can't wait for him to share with you his passion. So grab a glass and don't touch your dial. But first, I like to kick off the show with a tutorial of sorts to try to enlighten you to food trends or hot topics or rather hot ingredients. They could be hot, cold, or warm rather. But this particular conversation is a a growing trend, I should say. It had its day. It's coming back. So the following is a brief science class on the molecular structure of cheese. One cheese in particular, but just wait, don't change the channel. This is really cool culinary stuff. Now, Did you know that whether a cheese will or won't melt begins with molecular chemistry? And to understand why a cheese won't melt, it's easier to first grasp why a cheese will melt. Now, to ooze or stretch, a cheese must have a flexible network of proteins. Those are created by rennet and loosely held together by calcium phosphate. And when you heat those proteins, they move and reform. And at the other end of the spectrum... A cheese that remains intact and doesn't melt, let's say on the grill, oh yeah, fire it up, has a very rigid structure with no yield. Okay, I'm getting to the good part. Stay with me. This is the stuff I love. Now, there are many cheeses that don't melt. Queso fresco doesn't melt. Indian paneer doesn't melt. And halloumi. Ah, do you hear the angels? Halloumi. I love halloumi. Now, the cheese-making process that results in a non-melting cheese includes heating milk to to a high temperature, adding vinegar or lemon juice or some other acid to curdle it, 
And that high heat causes the whey proteins to stick to the cheese proteins, which are then pressed together. And you get a very inflexible cheese. You also get something compounded with protein. Now, halloumi is made with rennet, but it's pressed for a shorter time and it results in a higher than usual pH. The cheese is then dipped in hot whey, which kills the starter bacteria and any further development of acid, and you get a very rigid protein. And it's just really special. It is. If you haven't yet experimented with halloumi, I think you're missing out. And now is the time, with summer quickly approaching, the sun is coming, to use it on the barbecue or turn it into fries or add it to your salad. It's also great as the main event for Meatless Monday vegetarian dishes. Now, if you didn't know, halloumi hails from the Mediterranean island of Cyprus. It's made traditionally with a blend of sheep and goat's milk, and it's firm and white and very pleasantly salty. Like if you have a fascination for feta, think feta by halloumi. Very different cheeses, of course, but really this is an homage to halloumi. It's a very strong, slightly springy cheese. It's very popular throughout the Eastern Mediterranean, and it has a mild taste. It's creamy, Although it is often aged in brine, so it could have a stronger, saltier flavor. But it holds its shape beautifully under high heat. So it's most often sliced and grilled, and you get this golden crust and a chewy center. Now, halloumi is making its mark again, as I aforementioned. It's grown in popularity in the United States by 72% over the past four years. And surprisingly, halloumi is actually quite healthy when it comes to cheeses. Of course, it provides a good dose of calcium. Uh, It is, however, high in salt, so if you have high blood pressure, you should limit your intake of halloumi or cheese in general. It's very low in carbs, of course, and there's something just certainly unique about it. I don't think it should be eaten plain. It's not meant to be. It should be warmed or grilled or fired up for you to really enjoy it. And when you cook it, the saltiness fades and you get this really yummy, savory bite with a creamy texture. So buy some halloumi cheese and get cooking. And think of it as like the marshmallow of cheeses, right? If you eat it plain, it might not be that special, but properly crisped over an open flame, especially on the grill, both halloumi and marshmallows become beautifully, pleasantly toasty and savory and sensually melty on the inside. All right, come on. If I haven't talked you into halloumi yet. Now, as for pairings, um, you'll often see halloumi matched with mint. And I happen to love that compliment, but I think halloumi with any herbaceousness or any herbaceous note, I should say, um, is just lovely. I also like it with fruit. So uh, as stone fruit season comes into play, halloumi with peaches and a drizzle of pomegranate molasses. It's really delicious on a pizza if you want to add textural contrast and salty goodness. Uh, If you cut it into sticks, you can fry it for what we call halloumi fries in my house. And if you want to try just using it plain, use your microplane and grate it into a salad. And I'll tell you, it's out of this world. 
Now, uh, how long the cheese cooks will depend on what you're doing, of course. But here's the simplest way. If you cut the cheese into thick slices... Um, you will get exterior browning and nice gooey insides. And you can use your air fryer or a nonstick skillet or your barbecue. And no added oil is necessary. You literally, because it releases its natural oils, by the way, you literally apply high heat and don't touch it. And when it cooks to golden brown on one side, it will naturally release itself. Flip it over, brown it on the other side. And that's it. What a great halloumi starter. Then finish it the way you like. Maybe that uh, pomegranate molasses or a balsamic drizzle. Um, Find a lemon olive oil, fresh herbs. You could revamp your caprese salad. Uh, You could up your pizza game. Oh, the opportunities are endless. And so now you've learned halloumi 101. And I'd love to know how your experiment turns out. So please share. You can email me, jamie, J-A-M-I-E, at chefjamie.com. All right. It's time for food news this week. What? Krispy Kreme is giving away free donuts all summer long? That's right. The people have spoken. And... If you heard rumor that when the red light was on, you could get a free donut, oh, it is true. So in an official press release just yesterday or two days ago, depending upon when you're hearing this show, the donut chain explained that all you have to do is stop by when the hot light is lit up and ask for a free donut. And getting free donuts is a guarantee this summer. They say with inflation on gas prices and everything else, they want to bring a bit of brightness to everyone's day. All right. I'll salivate over a donut while we take a break. You should grab a snack and your glass and come on back. Rockstar winemaker Julien Fayard in your radio right after this. Chef Jamie Gwen. I love what I do. Thank you for listening. Don't go away. Cheers and raise a glass, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Wines are a blend of science and art, and winemaking is a blend of patience, skill, and creativity. And I love when a rock star winemaker graces this show because it fills our glasses with knowledge and most certainly makes us thirsty to try new wines. Please allow me to introduce to you Julien Fayard, the French winemaker bringing skill and emotion to Napa Valley. You see, Julien Fayard has been the winemaker of record for more than a few top shelf Napa wines that you know and love. More than 20, to be exact, including uh, Perlou, Brion, and Covert, to name a few. He's a partner in Covert Estate, by the way. He is the French-born and trained winemaker, an alum of the 
Philippe Melko winemaking track, and he has a lot of skin in the game, pun intended. He has his own label as well, with the release of Julien Fayard Wines, a single vineyard project and a study in terroir. And it is with great delight that my newfound friend, winemaker Julien Fayard, graces this show, because who doesn't want a winemaker rock star friend, right? And I'm very glad you are here. Bonjour, Julien, ça va? And thank you. <laughs> Hello, Jamie. Are we... How are you doing? Bonjour, bonjour. Thank you, thank you for the very kind introduction. Oh, and, well, and very much deserved. Um, for those that don't know you, I, we know the name Julien Fayard, but you have been behind many labels, and I mean that very respectfully, Right. Um, mm-hmm. For a, a, a lot of years, and your yeah. own, yeah, your own label has brought your name and face and beautiful personality and extraordinary talent to the forefront. But give us background, um, because you are from a great winemaking family. Yes, I I grew up in the wine business. I, yes. I tried to get out of it for so many years because <laughs> it's tough. It's a tough business it's it's hard. When, you, when you, especially when you start. Uh, and even though my family was uh, at the Chateau Saint Marguerite in Provence, one of the Cru Classé of Provence, um, and it's still a farming job, and it's you know long hours in the cellar and the vineyards. Mm-hmm. And when you're 20, you're like, okay, there must be something else. But what happened is because I started young, first harvest I was 16. Even before that, we used to work on the bottling line on weekends, you know, helping. Wow. Um, and so I've always got good internship and I ended up at Lafitte Rothschild uh, for my thesis for my uh, master. Yes. Um, so that that allowed me to have a really good track in the in the <laughs> wine industry and I think after a couple of years it started to mature and I decided to really focus on that and I met uh, Philippe Melka. I worked eight years for him uh, mm. and I like to say I was polishing the tannin. <laughs> back, you know, so you, you need someone. You know, you need people that work. It's always teamwork. Yes. Uh, if you're in the kitchen, it's the same. Yes. Uh, you have you have a, a lot of people behind the project, and everyone's important. And he kind of helped me, not kind of, but he, he really helped me own Napa Valley, especially in details, working with so many projects. Mm. And after a couple of years, I started to develop my own wines. And I, I started to build brands uh, like Covered Estate, like Purlieu, Le Piche, uh, and, you know, the Taplins. We, we have many uh, like that. And and when it was my turn to put a label of mine on a bottle of wine, hmm. I used my name because I felt uh, it's easy for people to figure out who's behind the project. And also it's, uh, you know, it's I think a little bit like when you sign a piece a painting or a picture, uh, you're signing the craft that is in the bottle. So yes. um, I, I didn't look too far for a name, and I thought <laughs> there, there is also a trust, I think, from people for quality uh, yes. behind the name uh, Julien Fayard. Yes. And so that all came together. And And I'm glad that you put your name there proudly, because there are plenty of Julian Fayard fans and followers who waited a long time for a mm-hmm. Julian Fayard wine. You still rely on and respect 
traditional Bordeaux winemaking techniques, right? Combined with the creativity that you and I touched on when we spent some time together last in Napa, that California excites in you, right? There's this really beautiful dichotomy to you, Julien Fajard, in my opinion. It's this great Bordeaux history and then this very modern winemaking culture that is California and the balance that you've created between France and California in the wines that you make is where your finesse is, in my opinion. America has discovered, you know, as the last 60 years that Cabernet here are at a world-class level, even all the wines in general. I mean, Cabernet is kind of the leader in the category, but um, we we get we make wine that are world famous and can compete at a world level. Mm-hmm. Um, now we're learning. You know, it goes along with the food. For me, it's, it's really together. Um, people are getting more educated. Uh, they go more out and. Wine gets right along food. So once you have a restaurant or a table or someone goes to the market and gets some, you know, specialty food and kind of spend time on researching the ingredients and how to cook, they also start researching wine and how to drink them. And to have wine that are food-friendly, that have finesse, that have elegance, I think the palates are becoming more and more accurate. Yes. And even though people can necessarily put words on it, they can judge, you know, if they like it or not, it's hmm. a very simple question. And sometimes we don't need much more than that. But uh, if they like the wines and it creates an emotion, then they'll they'll drink more of your wine. You have a distinct personality. The wine has a distinct personality. You have a casualness about you as a as a rock star wa- French winemaker that very much is. Uh, paralleled or mirrored even better in the wines. I had the opportunity to taste and and drink and sip and savor some of your wines. And I felt like it was the most beautiful representation of you. Like there's something laid back about you. And then there's something beautifully laid back about the wines in this classic Bordeaux, French, very traditional um, method as well. It's, It's just so fascinating to me. Um, to get to know an artisan, and and that's how I felt meeting you. Well, thank you. It's, thank you. It's, uh, it's I spend a lot of time. It's interesting when working with so many projects, they, you have to make them all different. Huh. And so I figured out basically the way to make them different is first the fruit selection and the place they come from, and trying. It's not because you have a good vineyard that. Everyone should get fruit from there, otherwise everything resembles. And then when we blend, uh, when there is ownership involved or partners, we I just bring them to the table and we kind of decide of the blend together. Julianne, will you please pause there? I love that you capture your passion in a bottle. We need to take a quick break when we come back more with rock star winemaker Julianne Fayard, you and me, Chef Jamie Gwen. More after this.
We're back and we're dishing, well, we're sipping with Julianne Fayard of Philippe Melka fame. He is a French winemaker and a California lover, and he is taking Napa Valley by storm. You speak about it from a minimalist standpoint. Yes, you've proven that your approach to doing less makes glorious award-winning wines. You're Julien Fayard. But if anybody who hasn't been to Harvest in Napa Valley or anywhere in the world uh, doesn't know what it takes to get the grape on the vine into the bottle, the process, (laughs) we would be paying thousands of dollars a bottle for what we're looking at, you know, uh, (laughs) the best value on the shelf for. And that's just, that's so amazing to me when you think about it that way. It's a uh, large logistics. Timing is very important. So, you know, yeah, people, I mean, I encourage people to come and visit and uh, actually spend some time at night driving uh, Highway 29 or Silverado Trail uh, late September, early October, and you're going to see 60, 80 crews of people with lights. You know, it starts basically at 2 a.m., <laughs> and we have that, those crews picking until 7, 8, a little later, depending on the weather. Mm-hmm. And then we get our fruit here early at the winery, <laughs> and we start crushing. We try to be crushing as early as possible. We're all indoors, okay. uh, which allows to control you know, the temperature, make sure the grapes are not exposed to the heat, <laughs> uh, and then you know, safe in tank as soon as possible. And uh, it's crazy. So you, you have to have the music really lined up. You have to make sure the trucks show up at the right time. That you know, people, everyone is in line. Um, so yeah, mm. we start living at night during harvest. <laughs> no doubt. No, it's like the most well-executed ballet you've e- exactly. ever witnessed, right? Where someone just goes gliding by you with their own directive, but it is all very planned and. It just, like music, like you alluded to, it just flows. But when you realize the components that go into it, and speaking of that, tell us, how do you think this season is looking? And then I, I want to talk about Covert as well, because that's really a, a passion project for yeah. you. So t- 2022 has been, uh, it's kind of that summer that doesn't want to start. And we yeah. had a couple nice days with some good welcome rain because we're still deficient. Uh, in water, we need more rain, and then we had a couple late frosts. Yeah. Uh, the Stierfoot Hills, we had two big frosts, and so the harvest up there is going to be really damaged in quantity. Mm. Uh, so we're going to maybe get 30% of what we normally produce. Wow. Um, That's low. Napa, it was a little more, little more sporadic. So uh, covert, for example... I think I'll get about a half to less of the clone 341 that we produce. Wow. So all the lower blocks got frosted. Um, and there was an early frost, so the vines are coming back nicely, but the the crop is not going to do What happens is when the bud grow back, they don't have, carry as much fruit. Right. So the, so the, so, yield, the yield is less, therefore making the wine right. more prized, but making the, the quantities produced more minimal. And we already are at low level of production, so dropping that even lower is, is you know, uh, economically challenging. Yeah, um, yes, but, for sure. you know, the quality is going to be there. Mm-hmm. And then we're having, you know, beautiful spring walking into the summer, um, and I think uh, 
you know, I, I, I like to go by average and hope that Mother Nature give, takes a little and gives a little. Hmm. So crossing fingers for the, we already had enough frost and big rain last weekend. So yeah. uh, let's, let's keep it like that until the end of harvest now. Here, here comes the sun. Let's, let's, sing, yeah. let's sing the song. For those that don't know Covert Estate, uh, to which Julian Feyhaud, rock star winemaker, is uh, a partner. Uh, he's also blending award-winning, extraordinary wines for um, an estate located in Napa Valley uh, that is committed to a minimal footprint on the land, but it is private and exclusive and extraordinarily unique. Uh, it is a boutique winery and the result of a collaboration of three families dedicated to the craft of winemaking. It is Cal and Pam Nicholson. They are library wine collectors and vintners. Dave and Laura Nestor, who are obsessive collectors as well. And then... The French winemaker, whom you hear now, Julien Fayard, um, and this just beautiful growing legacy of wine that is French-esque and Napa-inspired, and I'm very taken with your covert estate wines. You know that. It's magic. It's, I, I mean, when I met Cal and Dave, one is a European collector, mostly European and American, and the other one is a American purist in collection, so the dinners are very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, it's also, I mean, beyond the passion, it's people that really wanted to make wine for the site, so that's why we named the site. But we also named it in the way we we run the facility. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is nested in in an area called Coombsville, which is right. It's about five minutes from downtown Napa, mm-hmm. so it's easy uh, it's easy to come visit really quick, yes. uh, but it's an area where people have been, uh, had cattle and horses, and a lot of families have lived there for generations, and we wanted to minimize the disruption. So the, the way we build the winery is, uh, you know, 90% underground, you don't see buildings outside, and then we hid, uh, we, we created, it's not new, but it hasn't been built in Napa before, which is basically Roman cisterns, and we put all the waters underground, and we manage all our water that way. So, unbelievable. Uh, right at the beginning, we we signed up with Napa Green, and for people that don't know, Napa Green is a chart of improvement uh, mm-hmm. and methods of work. And company like Patagonia, for example, use those charts from Napa Green to set up their own charts. Wow. So they are kind of the leader in in that, um, but they are very Napa focused, yes. and um, and we follow we follow that, and we're actually kind of a leader in that in that category. Hmm. The idea was to not pollute uh, even visually, and when people have lived in an area, you don't want someone to move in and put a huge tank or some equipment. There's just in, in their, the middle of the scenery. In their front yard. In the front yard. Yes. Even on the hill across. I mean, you have a beautiful view, and then oh, I'm going to put a so piece of equipment there. And sure. so we figured out ways to hide them. Hmm. Quite extraordinary. I know you just mentioned you're not looking for accolades or awards or otherwise, but I think it is very essential for my audience to know, because I would like you to come back often 
please, and uh, be oh, our yeah. resident rock star winemaker here and give us updates from the vineyard. And I, I would like to know how Harvest is this year to stay in touch. Uh, but you have a 100-point wine. And I, 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 yeah, yes, and you should proudly say yes. And I wonder what that experience was like. You received a perfect score. No, but the 100 is a relief in the sense that, um, I mean, it's, some people want that, the whole life. Hmm. And to be able to be blessed to, and hang it on your roster is really exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also, it came in a time in the middle of COVID where we're going, we're going back into a very, you know, uncertain times. And so it gave the whole team the feel good that they were doing something right. Yes. And there, there was a, there was, you know, it was a milestone and achievement. And that gave a lot of energy to everyone and a lot of moral, uh, gave a very good release, uh, mm-hmm. that year. And so it boosted the moral of the self team as well. So it, it was, it was, you know, a blessing, you know, this I will carry with me for the rest of my life, which is great. You know, it's like you're an Olympic medalist. Uh, <laughs> so you get your medal, and that's that's great. But I think for everyone else, the team on, in place, it was also a, a, a huge uh, a huge thing. Yes, and, uh, and, that was important. and you should pat yourself on the back, Julian, because I, I think you earned every bit of that no doubt if you would like to continue trust me you want to to follow um the living legacy that is julien fayard winemaker um then you will want to go to fayardwines.com f-a-y-a-r-d wines.com and you'll want to follow on social of course at fayard wines and then uh where I met Julianne from, in fact, and my newest obsession is Covert Estate uh, on social at Covert Estate and CovertEstate.com. You can learn more. Uh, merci, Monsieur. Thank you for sharing your passion. Always a pleasure to talk to you, and I can't wait uh, to toast with you again. Thank you. Me too. Anyway, merci. Take care, take care, Thank you. Thank you. As the delicious conversation continues, we are eating and drinking to our heart's content. So please stay tuned. There is lots more to feed your soul right after this. Chef Jamie Gwen, be right back. Good times, great food, grand grilling. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio, celebrating the start of summer. My longtime friend, Chef Jamie Perviance, throws a killer grilling party. And he's back to share his best grilling tips and tricks to make your barbecue come alive with flavor. It is the most forward-thinking, visually instructive, and easy-to-use grilling cookbook ever published. With more than 800 stunning photographs illustrating each step of the new 100-plus recipes, Weber's Ultimate Grilling is a step-by-step guide to barbecue genius, and it is on sale now. Jamie Perviance is the world-renowned grilling expert who has a special knack for teaching anyone how to do it better. He's a Stanford and a CIA grad. We share an alma mater, the latter, 
And his food career has included New York Times bestselling cookbooks and recognition from the James Beard Awards. For the past 20 years, he has served as Weber's master griller and teacher, and he has some flavor bombs up his sleeve, because if I may say, he's the bomb. Jamie, it has been way too long. How are you? Hi, Jamie. (laughs) I am great particularly after that very generous introduction. Thank you very much. Very well deserved. Congratulations to you. Okay, I I think this is another extraordinary feat because I have to tell you, your recipes, I think, just keep getting better. What makes cookbook number 17 different than the rest? Well, this book is a technique book. I mean, it's a it's a recipe book, like a lot of cookbooks, but the real emphasis was on technique. And having done this for a while, as you say, I've learned by talking to people, but they, what they really want is to see it. It's one thing to read about it, but they want to see exactly how to do it. And because I can't be in everyone's backyard all the time, the best thing is just <laughs> to create phenomenal amount of really nice photography. Yes. So as you said, over 800 photos. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Like five, ten times as much as the usual cookbook. Right. So that's what's really different. Right from the start, you open this thing up and it's just a visual treat. It's just overflowing with photography. It is. I'm going to totally abuse the word bomb for the next 10 minutes because <laughs> it is. It's like it's an explosive photo bomb is what it is of everything you want to know as to um, how toasty the bread is for your bruschetta, to how to char corn and rub that tenderloin. I mean, it really is a, a visually stunning book that takes you through every step. And whether you're a novice or a connoisseur, there is always something to learn, in my opinion. I, you know, you and I as chefs and with a culinary education, I've gone page by page and thought to myself, why didn't I do that? That's brilliant. You know, there's so many wonderful uh, insights throughout the book. So uh, really kudos to you on that. Well, thank you. And and I echo what you're saying. You know, I I continue to learn every day, Um, Mm -hmm. whether I'm cooking on my own or I'm cooking with somebody else or I'm reading somebody else's book. The world of food is just too vast for anyone to kind of master in a couple of years. So uh, i that's part of the fun, too, is just continuing to learn and, and then to share. And, and that's what I've done in this book. I, I wanted it to, each recipe to be almost like looking at a video hmm. where you don't even really need to see the words. I mean, they're there to support you and give you the details. But the... The step-by-step photos are like watching a video, and and with that, you get so much more information than words can convey. Oh, definitely. So uh, it's a labor of love to to look at it. It also um, makes me want to lick the pages. Made me very hungry. Um, so oh, I, I picked out selfishly my favorite topics and recipes, and I thought we would just build a menu together. This is like everything I would want to eat if I came to your house. So, yes, some of them um, maybe a bit more novel or a a good reminder of grand things that come off the grill and can throughout the summer long if we're cooking along with you with the new book, Weber's Ultimate Grilling. Okay, Jamie, bruschetta off the grill, there is something just so decadent about the smokiness that the grill imparts on the bread, and I loved your big bruschetta piece. Yeah, I think actually the word bruschetta means, I don't speak Italian, but I think it's something like over the coals. 
So it's completely authentic that um, we're, we're doing it this way. And you're right. You know, toasting a piece of bread makes it taste better, but toasting it over a live fire oh, yeah. just adds a whole nother layer of complexity and, and wonderful flavor. By the way, book number one was pretty darn fabulous too. Book number 17, though, is Weber's Ultimate Grilling, a step-by-step guide to barbecue genius. And it is written by world-renowned grilling expert and Weber's master griller and teacher, Jamie Perviance. And the book is available now. It is everything you need to know to become a barbecue genius. And it's the first of its kind. 800 stunning full-color photographs that step-by-step illustrate everything you need to know to put out a truly glorious grilled meal. The book is available on Amazon. And on its way to bestseller, it just released. And you can follow Jamie's culinary escapades at jamieperviance.com and on social at jamieperviance as well. Okay, dinner and wine on the calendar. That's, that's our next plan, Chef. Yay. Yeah, I look forward to it. Um, thank you again for coming back on. I hope uh, that uh, we get to toast each other soon. Great. Thank you, Jamie, so much. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of delicious conversation. And I hope that you got your quick fix of culinary entertainment. I hope that I set your gastronomic sights higher. And I truly hope that you will tune in every week to be the best cook you know. I'll leave you with my last bite, my last ounce or tidbit of inspiration for this week. Looking for a quick, easy, but impressive summer dessert? Make what I call lemon phyllo tartlets. Yes, all you do is buy the store-bought little mini phyllo cups. You'll find them in the freezer section of almost every supermarket. And you just bake them off at 350 And then about eight to 10 minutes, you let them cool and spoon in a dollop of lemon curd. Could be homemade. Uh, Maybe you're making tangerine curd at the close of the season, or you bought a really good jar. Finish with a couple of blueberries and a mint leaf, and you have a sweet little lemon phyllo tartlet that is sure to impress. I will post the method not really a recipe, and make it super easy for you on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen, so you can copycat it and take all the credit. And I'll meet you here next weekend when I guarantee there is lots more fabulous food in your radio and on the menu. I thank you for listening once again. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off, and I hope you continue to eat well. Well.